Hi, I'm Jen, and I host the Your Parenting Mojo podcast. We all want our children to lead fulfilling lives, but it can be so... Do you get tired of hearing the same old intros to podcast episodes? Me too. Hi, I'm not Jen. I'm Jessica, and I'm in rural East Panama. Jen has just created a new way for listeners to record the introductions to podcast episodes, and I got to test it out. There's no other resource out there quite like your parenting mojo, which doesn't just tell you about the latest scientific research on parenting and child development, but puts it in context for you as well, so you can decide whether and how to use this new information. If you'd like to get new episodes in your inbox, along with a free infographic on 13 reasons your child isn't listening to you and what to do about each one, sign up at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash subscribe and come over to our free Facebook group to continue the conversation about this episode. You can also thank Jen for this episode by donating to keep the podcast ad-free by going to the page for this or any other episode on yourparentingmojo.com. If you'd like to start a conversation with someone about this episode or know someone who would find it useful, please forward it to them. Over time, you're going to get sick of hearing me read this intro as well, so come and record one yourself. You can read from a script she's provided or have some real fun with it and write your own. Just go to yourparentingmojo.com and click read the intro. I can't wait to hear yours. Hello and welcome to the Your Parenting Mojo podcast. Today we're actually going to do something that we have not done before. We have two parents here with us today. They reached out to me after the still recent to us as we're recording here. That's going to be a little while before this episode is released. And the episode with Dr. Chris Winter, where we were learning about sleep and we talked about our no set bedtime process. And at the beginning of that interview, I said, if anyone's curious about this and is interested in applying this idea with their own children feel free to reach out and maybe we can set something up and so we have two fabulous parents here today Gila and Catherine and they each of them reached out and were curious about various aspects and were also kind of hesitant about various aspects and so today we're going to talk through with them what it might look like to have a no set bedtime routine in their house so I'm going to ask each of them to introduce themselves and then I'm going to talk for a bit about how this has played out for us and through what I've seen with the families that have implemented it and then we're going to go into a Q&A and they're going to poke holes in this on your behalf <laughs> dear listeners so that you can really see how this could play out with your family if you decided to try this so hello and welcome to Gila and Catherine. Gila did you want to go first and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and your family where you are in the world and what made you reach out when you saw this offer? Thanks for having me. So I am a single mom of a seven-year-old boy. Uh, we're in upstate New York. And I reached out for a couple of reasons. One is that my son, while sometimes he falls asleep relatively easily, sometimes relatively frequently he falls asleep more than an hour after lights out. And I'm a little familiar with the insomnia literature and my understanding is that it's not good to be in bed for that long and tossing and turning. And I want to establish healthy sleep habits, but I also really think sleep is so important. The other piece is that sleep is a time when behavioral challenges can come up. And I think there's a lot of reasons why that's the case, but one of them is the power dynamic, that this is a place where there can be a power struggle. Mm -hmm. And I've seen in other places how better things go when I can shift away from the sort of power over dynamic and have a more collaborative approach. 
but I struggle with that with bedtime because I do think that sleep is so important and because it's a place where I think structure and consistency are helpful. So, but I was very intrigued and I'm very curious to learn more. Okay, super. And my understanding is you have more than a passing professional interest in this topic. Is that right? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I am a psychologist and a neuropsychologist. And so I recommend to my patients all the time to improve sleep habits. Sleep is just so critical for cognitive functioning, emotional functioning, psychological, and physical. Okay, cool. Well, thank you very much for uh, telling us about you. Catherine, who are you? Where are you in the world? Who's your family? Yes, I'm Catherine, um, based in Southern Maryland, just outside of D.C. I have one daughter who's about three years and three months now. So we our bedtime routines have been a little bit inconsistent over time, and lately... At one point, we had gotten it to a pretty good timing where she was usually in bed and we left the room by 8.30, and now it's kind of crept up to 9.30 by the time we leave, and that leaves very little time for my husband and I to spend time together or just relax. I think that the no-sit-bedtime approach would be exciting to her. It is to both children, yep. <laughs> could potentially be really helpful for us, but I... I'm hesitant about, or I, I can see potential challenges with getting her to actually stay in her room while we go do something else. We usually like to just watch a TV show together or, you know, spend time together. And I, I could see her begging to leave her room and, and spend time with us. <laughs> okay. So but. also, like Gila, feeling pretty excited about the possibility of this and also like how on earth is that actually going to work in real life with my real child is that right yes yeah okay (laughs) okay so let me tell you how we put this in place for us and then we can answer all of your questions (laughs) on behalf of all the parents who are listening to this so I will say that I'm not sure that everybody who's listening to this necessarily needs to try this approach or to use this approach. I think that one of the main indicators that we can use to say, should we try this approach is maybe something about bedtime is not working for us right now. Either it's not working for the child and we'll know it's not working for the child because we see them resisting. <laughs> we see them stalling. We see them not wanting to go to bed. Or something isn't working for us. And Catherine, I think you're a great example of that, where you're not necessarily sort of that you're seeing the stalling and eventually the child's getting into bed and then you get your downtime. It's like your downtime has kind of evaporated at this point. (laughs) And so something about that is not working for you. And so if the way that we're doing things right now is not working for one or both parties involved, then I think that's a really good reason to consider doing something differently. So we introduced this when my daughter was about two and a half, (laughs) which uh, even Dr. Winter was pretty shocked when he heard how young she was. And basically it came about through resistance to bedtime and thinking, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this every night? This is harder than it needs to be. What can we shift that can make this potentially easier? 
our routine definitely shifts a little bit with how light it is outside and it has also shifted as she's gotten older as well but in general what we end up doing is dinner is at around 6 45 and i've cooked every other night usually I, I cook one night and then we have leftovers reheated the second night and dinner itself takes about 20 minutes so so we're coming into the period just after seven o'clock and then we have a good deal of flex time in that hour that almost hour until about eight i keep a learning journal for her and I try and keep that out on the end of the dining room table and so that's my period of the day to write in there she takes a bath every other day uh, sometimes she wants to have playtime if something interesting came in the mail or we are just back from a, a trip where we've been exploring national parks and she didn't finish some of her junior ranger badges and she wants to finish those so that's sort of a, a good deal of flex time in that almost hour and then at eight o'clock, we used to have brushing teeth right at eight o'clock. And we've sort of flexed that a little bit as she's gotten older to have stories first. And then she brushes teeth after. If your child has strong resistance to brushing teeth, I would definitely advise having brushing teeth before stories <laughs> so that you can sort of use that as a light touch logical consequence. If you're having trouble getting the teeth brushed, that we might not have time for stories if we don't get the teeth brushed in an expedient manner. Uh, we're at a point now where that's not so much of a challenge as it has been in previous years and so we we can allow a little more flexibility there so but at eight o'clock we're starting our story time and uh karis actually sleeps on a pile of blankets on the floor in her bedroom <laughs> by her choice, <laughs> certainly not our preference. And so that does mean that her bedroom is not a very comfortable place to read stories. If your child is sleeping in a bed, like most children do, and bed is a comfortable place, then you could certainly read stories in your bedroom. And many parents find that the fewer transitions that they have around bedtime, the better. And so that's one more reason to get the teeth done early so you don't have to come out of the bedroom if, if that is potentially a challenge. Uh, for us, again, that's not so much of an issue. So we have stories in the living room and then after that, uh, we're transitioning to this mythical time that you're all wondering about <laughs> what actually happens in this time. So our basic parameter is you can do whatever you like. It needs to be mostly in your room. And we took a harder line on this when she was younger. And I am not going to be involved in this. So if you need help with stickers or glue or tape or anything like that, that is not a project that we're going to be doing during this period after story time, that it needs to be something that you can do without asking for my help. In the early days with a younger child, what you will probably find is that if you just set up the options of, you can go to bed even if you're not tired, or you can play in your room quietly by yourself, <laughs> that you will probably find the child will be quite attracted to this idea of not lying in bed, which they may have been forced to do for some period of time before that. I think the key idea that a lot of parents are struggling with here is that this period of time has to meet both parties' needs. And really everything that we're doing in our interactions with our children ideally is going to be meeting both of their needs. And the important part to distinguish there is the difference between needs and strategies. And a strategy is a way that we can meet a need. Actually, let's look at it from the other way. I might think to myself, well, I want to read a book every night. That's part of how I want to spend my time. And I need to read a book. 
I need that for myself. Actually, that reading that book is a strategy to meet a need, which could be, depending on what kind of book it is, it could be intellectual stimulation, it could be relaxation, it could be self-care time, it could be any one of a number of needs that I'm meeting by reading this book. And when we bring this back to the level of needs rather than strategies, we can see actually there might be a whole bunch of other ways to get those needs met. So if my need for it in that time is for intellectual stimulation, I might be able to listen to a podcast just as easily as I, as I can read a book. If my need is for self-care, maybe a bath in the bathroom with the door locked <laughs> would be another way to have that need met. And that doesn't involve anything to do with books necessarily. So if we can see this at a level of needs, then all of a sudden a whole bunch of different ways of meeting that potential need can be met. And so we're always looking to understand what is my real need here, not the strategy I'm using to try and meet that need. And what is the child's real need here? Maybe the child is not tired and that's why they're not wanting to go to bed. Maybe they don't feel as though they've had enough connection time with you in the day and that's why they don't want to go to bed. And we need to understand what is their need so that we can help them to address that. Because if their need is for connection time with you, then when eight o'clock or whatever is your time or, you know, 8.30, once you get to the story, end of story time rolls around, they're probably still going to be coming out of their room saying, I want to spend time with you because they're not feeling as though they've had that connection time with you. So if you're seeing behavior that is difficult for you to navigate <laughs> like coming out of the room when when you're hoping that they're going to be spending this time in their room then you always want to be asking yourself what need is the child trying to fulfill by doing this behavior and so if it's connection time well what can we do about that maybe you could have connection time with them earlier in the day and so their cup is full by bedtime and thus they don't mind the separation from you as much if you don't have time to do that earlier in the day, maybe an hour and a half of kind of irritated, you know, I told you to stay in your room, I told you to stay in your room, is not meeting your need for relaxation and self-care at the end of the day. And perhaps 30 minutes of one-on-one -on -one time with your child could refill their cup, their need for connection, and also then get you an hour of time <laughs> on the back end for your self-care time, your connection time with your partner and so on. Um, so I think that that is, that's really at the crux of the, well, what do I do if my child doesn't stay in their bedroom idea? On the younger end, when they're not necessarily as able to communicate their needs, you know, do you want to be in bed or do you want to play in your room quietly by yourself can be useful. But as soon as they're old enough to start expressing what's actually going on for them, then we can start to bring in this idea of needs and meeting theirs and meeting ours as well. And in the meantime, we can always hypothesize. We can always sort of take an educated guess what we think is going on for them and try to help them meet their need to the best that we can understand it. So, so that's a super important, important piece. Then of course you get to, well, what happens if they go to bed late? <laughs> and when we first started this, yes, I will say there was a period of maybe, it was probably two weeks at the most where we had gone from sort of an 8.30 lights out to it was heading towards 9.30 and 10. And at that point, we had been making up songs or stories. I would lie with her for a little bit and make up a song or a story based on some funny thing that happened in the day, or she would suggest a character and I would make up a song or a story based on that. And so of course it gets to 9.30 or 10 and she's like, okay, it's song time now. And I'm like, it's not song time. <laughs> it's 10 o'clock at night. It is not time for making up songs and stories. And so I put a boundary in place to say, after nine o'clock, 
I do not have the mental capacity to be able to make up songs and stories. So if you choose to go to bed before nine o'clock, then I will be able to, to tell you a song, make up a story. If you choose to go to bed after that, then I'm not going to be able to do that. I don't have the mental capacity to do that. And so there was then a period of time where she chose to go to bed at nine o'clock so she could get her song or her story. And there were other days where she's like, eh, I, I don't really care that much. <laughs> I'd rather keep doing what I'm doing. It doesn't matter to me. And so, yeah, there will be a period of time where they're learning what it is like to self-regulate and they may end up tired. And if you were to start this on a Monday, you know, they're in preschool and they were to spend those days in school, would that be the end of the world if you were not the person who had to deal with that? <laughs> my hypothesis, my the way I approached it was no, it would not be the end of the world if I was not the person who had to deal with that. So yes, we very deliberately did this on school days. <laughs> And yeah, you're, that means you're going to get woken up at a certain time. And I'm going to be super upfront about that. I'm going to say, we need to be out the door at 8.15 and it takes you a bit of time to get going. I'm thinking 7.30 is a reasonable time. We're simplifying our morning routine as much as we can. So things like getting dressed, brushing teeth and eating breakfast, those were really the only three things we were doing in the morning at that time. And at 7.30 rolls around and waking her up, she's pretty tired. She's not super happy to be woken up. But within a couple of weeks, she had learned that if you go to bed at 10, you are probably going to wake up very tired and the day is probably going to be kind of rough. And there may be a period of time where you have to sort of say, hey, it's, it's 9.30. Are you sure you want to stay up? And you can see they're still in whatever they're doing and they don't want to stop. It's like, okay, I'm waking you up at 7.30 no matter what. And then pretty soon you get to a point where the luster of staying up until whatever time I like wears off a little bit <laughs> and they don't uh, feel as though this is something you're going to take away. And thus they have to do it to the max in case my parent changes their mind and won't let me do this anymore. They realize this is a long-term thing. And so all of a sudden staying up until super late becomes something that it's not a big deal. And I will say for probably a year now, right after story time on most nights, Karis has been going to bed at 8.30. And so <laughs> we're kind of where I might want to be if I was forcing her to go to bed at a certain time, but without the forcing, it's just coming from her desire, her fatigue, her knowledge of her own body and knowing what's coming up the next day and things that she's excited for and what she wants to be up for at a certain time to do before school. And so it just flows. She is regulating her own energy and her own sleep cycle so that she gets her needs met. And so as we sort of wrap up, what we find is that when a child is able to do that, the stalling goes away. There's no reason to stall because you know that you can stay up as long as you like. <laughs> so any struggles you've had with the child saying, I don't want to do this and I'm not tired and, or just not even verbally saying anything, but just resisting every single step of this process just goes away because their needs are being met. And also your needs are being met as well. And so nobody is exerting top-down control over this process but we have two people or more than two people who also need to agree on this approach potentially who are in this relationship who are both having their needs met. And that is a beautiful thing. So, so thus endeth the lecture on <laughs> how no set bedtime went for us and is currently going for us. And now Gila and Catherine, I am guessing that a whole bunch of questions are buzzing through your minds. Let's have a conversation about things that you're still curious about, things that you're really worried about, and also what might you want to jump in and try first? 
thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. That is beautiful and inspirational that she has come to this place where she's <laughs> actually self-regulating and that she's going to a time that feels good for you. That's my big fear, right? That much like a child who's been really restricted with sugar and then you give them free access to sugar, they're going to binge. And I know that it, well, I don't know with sugar that at some point it's good. <laughs> going to calm down but that's another topic for another day but with sleep I worry that you know my son gets really into projects and that's my big worry is that he would pretty consistently not go to sleep at a reasonable time and also that even if at some point it calibrated that on the way to calibration it would be really challenging not just for me but also for him so in my observation even you know one really poor night of sleep can often throw him off for mm -hmm. more than just a day and can be hard to recover from and even though yes he's going to school getting him to school when so right now he's having trouble waking up in the mornings and not wanting to get out of bed and that you know starts to shift into school refusal and it's challenging and there probably will be a period of time, if this has been restricted, <laughs> uh, that he is going to go to bed later than he has been right now. And that may lead to more struggles in the morning. And so the question really becomes, is what we're doing right now working? If what we're doing right now is working, then chances are you wouldn't have reached out to me. <laughs> If it is working, then we don't necessarily need to do this. But you reached out because what something about what you're doing right now is not feeling right to you and or to him. And thus, yes, it could lead to a few days, potentially a couple of weeks where things are difficult. But we're not just sort of not saying anything about it in between times. We're just saying, okay, no more set bedtime. You can go to bed whenever you like. And that's the last we talk about it. Every day we're going to be talking about, how are you feeling? <laughs> we're going to be keeping track of what time we went to bed last night. And oh yeah, last night you went to bed at 10 o'clock, right? How did you feel when you woke up this morning? And what was the rest of today like for you? What are you thinking might be good for what time you want to go to bed tonight? It seems as though maybe you're getting super invested in your projects and you're having a hard time breaking away from those so that you can go to bed at that time. It, what can we help you with to make that easier? Maybe there you get to a certain point and you decide you want to take a break. Or if it's a book, maybe it's a certain chapter. Or maybe there are some activities that are just so engrossing that they're not good activities for right before bed because you do get so tunnel visioned into them and you don't want to come out again. Maybe those are good activities for earlier in the evening and we're going to do something in the evening that allows us to stay at a bit more sort of higher level with it, not so engrossed. And so it's easier to come out of it and go to bed at a time that we think might be useful for you. What do you think about that? Yeah, I like the idea of processing it, that it's yeah. active process and not just, you know, there's change and we're yeah. implementing it. And your child um, is old enough that, yeah, that you I, can have this conversation with them, right? This doesn't have to be a decision like we're going right. to do this now. This can be a, hey, I'm learning about this mm -hmm. and I'm really hesitant about it. <laughs> and I don't know if this is going to work for our family. Yeah. What do you think might happen if we tried this? What would happen if you woke yeah. up tired in the yeah, morning? And you can talk about this in total hypotheticals. What could I do to support you mm -hmm. to get to sleep at a time that you wouldn't feel tired in the morning? Okay, do we want to give this a yeah. try? That's how I tend to approach things. So that's what I was envisioning. 
I was interested and a little relieved to hear. I thought the success of this was in some ways dependent on not having to be up at a certain point. So we homeschooled last year and did have more flexibility. And I do think his natural sleep rhythm and mine, to be honest, is to go to bed a little later and wake up a little later. But when you don't have that luxury, it was good to hear that yeah. so you did this while she was in a school environment and had to yeah. wake up at a yeah. certain time. And if you check uh, into Dr. Winters's book, he describes a slightly more hardcore <laughs> way of going about this. And he will actually say, what is the time that you need to be up? We're going to wake you up at that time. And then I forget the exact, like how you decide on what time bedtime is, but it is going to be late. It is going to be like midnight and you are going to do everything you can to keep that child awake until midnight. They're going to go to bed at midnight. They're going to wake up at 7 a.m. absolutely exhausted. And then when it comes down to the next night, then they're going to go to sleep. <laughs> and you're sort of backing into what is the time that they actually need to go to sleep. You know, I'm going to do everything I can, even if it's really unpleasant to keep you awake just seemed more hardcore, more sort of antagonistic than I was willing to do. Your child is significantly struggling with sleep than I could see potentially going down that path. But for a child who's not really struggling with sleep, it's just the bedtime routine is not working for us, then I'm not sure that we need to go that far. I also think that's not necessarily effective because sleep begets sleep sometimes, right? If you have an overtired child, sometimes they actually have a harder time falling asleep. So in my experience and sometimes although I think his point is if the child is in bed for a long period of time and struggling to go to sleep then that's something that can be useful to figure out how much sleep do they actually need Catherine I'm curious about what's coming up for you as you're hearing all this conversation yeah well it was interesting to hear how you kind of set up your routine from dinner on to bedtime because dinner is another area that has impacted our bedtime routine as well a lot of times our daughter will only pick out a few things at dinner and then later she'll say that she's hungry you know, once she's already like <laughs> getting in bed and we've tried a few tactics like we haven't been too successful with like saying no more food after this time because I feel bad <laughs> to deny her food says that she's hungry so lately we've been letting her eat some food upstairs until it's like time to brush teeth and then we cut it off but contributed to the mm -hmm. later bedtime. Yeah. What are you allowing her to eat in the evening? Usually something that's not too messy, like cucumbers or apple slices. Okay. And Does she like those? Maybe that's encouraging her to <laughs> not eat. <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple of things that you could do if you wanted to shift something on that. The first would be you put out food at dinner time and then leave your child's plate on the table until they go to bed. You could cover it if you feel you need to, but after dinner is on the table, the only food that's offered is what's on your plate. And yes, if you're still hungry, absolutely. Feel free to go back and eat what's on your plate. And then at, at bedtime, that goes away. If your child is still hungry after that, it helps to have something in your back pocket that is a tolerated but not liked snack. So that if they are genuinely hungry, we're not going to withhold food from a child who is genuinely hungry. 
but also we're not encouraging them to to drag out this bedtime that is contributing to you and your partner not getting alone time in the evenings by requesting more of a favored food. For us, for a long time, it was frozen mixed vegetables. Requires no prep from me because she would eat them frozen. <laughs> we just pull them right out of the bag and stick them in a bowl. And if she was really hungry, she'd eat them. And if she wasn't really hungry, she'd be like, eh, okay, I'm going to brush my teeth. <laughs> so do you think that could help potentially? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, part of it is we need to be a little more firm with limits because she'll say, well, I don't want that. I want something else. Mm -hmm. And if we kind of give in and say, okay, then she's encouraged to keep doing that. Right. Yeah. Let me just tease out a little distinction there between limits and boundaries. When we're setting a limit on somebody's behavior, we're saying what you must do. We're trying to change your behavior. When we're setting a boundary, we're saying what I am not willing to do. So I am not willing to prepare any more food for you is a boundary. And the key thing about a boundary is we have to decide in advance that it fits with our values, that this is important to us, that my connection time with my partner in the evening is important enough that I am not going to encourage this staying up later and later and later by, by providing preferred snacks. <laughs> so when you get clear in your own mind, why are we doing this? It stops becoming this arbitrary, well, okay, I'll get it for you today. <laughs> and it just becomes, this is what I am and I'm not willing to do. And if that is grounded in your values, it becomes super easy to hold that. And that really comes from getting clear on, is this time with your partner in the evening really important to you? If it is, then that boundary becomes super easy to set and hold. If it's not, then that's its own challenge by itself. <laughs> um, and also you will probably continue to find that you'll waver. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The Or the need that the child might have of more connection time, that really sounded accurate. Because <laughs> a lot of times she will stall that time because she'll want to play more with us. She'll want us to, yeah, telling more stories or even hold her longer. So yeah, I think where we struggle is holding the boundaries sometimes we'll tell her okay we can spend this time together we'll set a timer <laughs> for like 20 minutes but then she's still resisting and then it really does become is this time with my partner important enough <laughs> that I'm okay with this getting pushed out every single night and I'm not feeling connected to my partner right now because I'm not spending any time with them. Whereas if we are crystal clear in our own mind that we need this time for ourselves, for our relationship, then setting and holding that boundary becomes a lot easier. And it comes from that clarity about why we're setting it. Yes, we're trying to meet our child's need and we want to be looking, okay, do have I really connected with her today? Have I played one-on-one -on -one with her? Have I done it doing things that she really enjoys? Not like, yeah, we're having a one-on-one -on -one time while I'm folding the laundry. <laughs> and that we have genuinely connected today. And if you can say yes to that, it is okay to set a boundary and say, We've had our connecting time and now it's my time to spend with mama, daddy, whoever your partner is, that you don't have to always give, give, give to a child because what that teaches a child is that it's not okay to have boundaries, <laughs> right? And if we think about this sort of goes into more macro issues, many of us had our needs disregarded as children and we didn't have anyone to model boundary setting for us. You know, maybe our parent, maybe our mother tends, tends to be the female figure in the family who just kind of got walked all over a little bit and didn't set their own boundaries, didn't feel as though they could set their own boundaries. And so now we see some parenting well, on a podcast is I need to set boundaries. And I'm like, I don't even know where to set them. I don't know how to identify my needs.
needs. <laughs> it can be super challenging to say, you know what? I have a need to connect with my partner. I have a need for self-care time. That is valid. Because I am a person, I have a right in a way to have my needs met, just as you have a right to have your needs met. And so I'm going to help you to meet those needs. And if it gets to a point where I cannot see how to meet both of our needs. I cannot see how to connect with you and get the self-care time that I know I need. I'm going to set a boundary and I'm going to say that I am important enough in this family to also have my needs met. It can be super challenging, particularly for female identifying people <laughs> to identify those needs in the first place and then to set those boundaries. It sounds like we're talking about bedtime and in a way we are, but in a way we're talking about stuff that's so much deeper inside us than that. That definitely resonates. <laughs> All of that is, yeah, it's really, I thought it was about the bedtime and then the more I mm -hmm. considered like where the problem lies, it is the boundaries and that it's not just at bedtime, it's any transition time with her is mm -hmm. a challenge. And I think a lot of it is, yeah, feeling like guilty, like I'm not connecting with her enough because she always wants more connection, but mm -hmm. I also need to honor my own needs. Exactly. Yeah. And to the extent that we can do both, we will, but it's not always possible to meet everybody's needs. Many more times than we might think. Like for example, if Gila, you and I were emailing and you were talking about, you haven't read a book in forever. <laughs> and maybe you are perfectly happy being in the same room with your child, reading a book while they're doing their project. There's no rule around no set bedtime that says you must be in a separate room. We have this idea in Western culture that our self-care time needs to happen by ourselves <laughs> in a different room. And it needs to involve quiet. People in many cultures don't have that. If you don't have that and you are able to feel fulfilled and have your need met while your child is in the same room, go for it. <laughs> the critical part here is that both people's needs get met. But if it's not possible to do that, that's when the boundaries become useful. Yeah, I can definitely relate to talk about boundaries. And I find it particularly uncomfortable at bedtime because it is sort of this time of vulnerability and of, you know, your kids want to snuggle. And one of my questions for you was, you know, I still lie down with my son until he falls asleep. And so if I'm leaving him to do his activity, that is not only a change in how we're doing bedtime, but it's a change in the connection that's available to him. And that feels like it's sort of a different mm -hmm. component. So as you were talking, I, was, I like what you were saying that we may initially think, well, what I need is time to do X, but really the need might be able to be met in other ways. And I was thinking, you know, I wonder, like, I would love to have time to consistently do yoga. Like, so maybe in the same room while he's doing a project, I can do some yoga or something like that. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah, absolutely. And, <laughs> and and what you're what you're getting to is self-care time really. What does self-care look like for me? And also maybe exercise. Right. Is that the strategy we want to use to cover our self-care and our exercise? Does that work for everybody and it works for you, it also works for your son? Or do I need to build self-care and exercise into other aspects of my day so that when I get to bedtime, those are already taken care of and I'm not sitting there steaming because my need hasn't been met today. <laughs> right. And I do try to, and I don't usually do yoga at mm -hmm. night, so that would be a shift for me. But yeah, I was trying to think of how to do this in a way that doesn't feel like a big shift in sort of removal of, yeah. of that connection piece that he's used to. 
And I thought it was really intriguing what you were saying that like you set a time of I'm available <laughs> until this time. So I need to think more about that because yeah, like I feel like it could start feeling to him like almost a contingency of punitiveness of, well, if you don't go to sleep by nine, I'm not lying down with you, right? Mm -hmm. But I think there's a way to present it that, that hopefully it wouldn't be. Uh, how do you feel about lying down with him right now? So if he takes an hour and a half to fall asleep, I am going crazy. Mm -hmm. I do also, I will say, sometimes fall asleep with him. So <laughs> And sometimes that's good for me and sometimes it's not. I like it. I think it's not something that I'm like chomping at the bit to get rid of. And it's okay. a connection point that I think we both enjoy. I do worry sometimes, you know, I want him to be able to fall asleep eventually without me. I don't know. Most of me, for the most part, trusts that that will come mm -hmm. when he's ready. But yeah, I, I think throughout my work with families, I encourage people to think about, is there a problem here? Is this working for you, parent? Is this working for you, child? If it is, there's no problem here. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't matter what society says about you have a child of a certain age, you know, you're still lying with them next to them to go to sleep. People in many cultures around the world lie next to their kids to go to sleep every night and their kids turn out fine. Yeah, and it's a sweet time. And mm -hmm. I think the only time that it's a problem is when tossing and turning or... Mm -hmm. You know, trying not to fall asleep and um, I get frustrated. Yeah. And you'll need to play with this, right? This isn't a one and done conversation. This is how we're going to do it. And this is how it's going to play out. You're going to need to see how it goes and then readjust. So you may decide that nine o'clock is your time. That if you are going to bed child before nine o'clock, then I'm going to be able to lie next to you. If it's after that, I'm going to be doing my own things and I'm not going to be available. And I don't see that as punishment. I see that as a boundary, as something that says I have needs as well. And, and I'm not saying nothing magic about nine o'clock. <laughs> That's my boundary. <laughs> That's what meets my needs. Yours may be entirely different. And so the key challenge for you is to think, about well what really is my need here is my need for intellectual stimulation well could i listen to a podcast while we're falling asleep together what else could i do that helps to meet my need and also meet his need and if we don't see a way to make those two things happen then that's when we use a boundary but again this is you'll try it you'll say oh, nine o'clock's the time before that yes i'll lie with you after that no and then okay yeah i i'm realizing that actually maybe 9 30 might be a better time like I, i'm feeling as though my needs are being met i have enough time to do the things that i want to do w what if we tried 9 30 for a bit or maybe you try 10 and you realize yeah actually not enough time <laughs> <laughs> let's wind that back a little bit. What you're doing here is not just making decisions about bedtime. You are starting to use a way of being with your child that holds both of your needs with equal weight. It doesn't say, you know, permissive, we're going to do everything you want. It's the opposite of that. It's saying your needs and my needs have equal weight. And when we can meet both, we're going to do that. And how we do that is this constant negotiation throughout our lives, not in a, in a bad way where a child is like, I want this, I want this, I want this. And you're like, seriously, 
but in a way where, yeah, I see your need isn't being met here and my need isn't being met here either. What are we going to do about that? And that is a practice that will hold you and carry you, the two of you, the three of you, the however many is in your family through the rest of your lives. And also that they will take out into the world and use with other people when they see, oh, your need isn't being met in this situation. Mine isn't either. What are we going to do about that? <laughs> you know, this is so that what you're practicing here is so much bigger than just sleep. How much time do you, well, in your experience with your daughter, Jen, like you said, you've kind of adjusted things as she's gotten older. Were there mm -hmm. signs that it needed to change? Like, was she starting to resist some aspect of it? Or I'm glad you picked <laughs> up on the word resistance. When you're seeing resistance in a child and when you're feeling resentment yourself, those are the two keys that you're going to know that something isn't working with the way that you're doing it right now, with whatever you've landed on that maybe has worked, quote unquote, for six months. And all of a sudden your child's resisting something, or all of a sudden you're like, you know what, this doesn't feel good to me. That's how you know that something needs to change. There's no sort of marker necessarily. Right. <laughs> it's really much more fluid than that. It's yeah, we've been doing it this way for a while. And, you know, I realize I actually can't do this wholeheartedly like I can't actually say yes I want to do this for you I want to do this with you but if I can't say that and there's some part of me that's like really I don't want to <laughs> that's a signal for me that something about this needs to change so and of course things shift a little bit she'll just kind of organically by themselves so maybe there'll be a particular project that's already set up in the living room and she'll say you know can I do this project I'm going to do it by myself you don't have to do anything yes yeah I'm good that's okay so the more she's gotten older the more that kind of flexibility works you may find that with a younger child having in the living room quickly turns into mama I want this mama I'm still hungry mama can you do this for me and so you may decide to try it and then you'll say you know what my knee isn't being met here and so the only way that I can see right now to make this work is if you stay in your room so you can always try things and then acknowledge my need isn't being met here I would like to go back to the way that we've been doing it before that's helpful what else what other reasons do you have that you may not want to try this <laughs> So my son, we did this for a while. He was always hungry right before bed. So we would do midnight snack <laughs> at seven o'clock. <laughs> so but then it feels so much more special. Better than exactly. at 8 p.m. So, so then it's coming from the parent. It's you're comfortable with this. You have, you know, decided on it. It's not her kind of pushing to see what she can get. Not that I don't know if she's doing that, but um, I don't personally see kids as manipulative or anything like that. I just think, you know, she may sort of just draw to that. So it may help her to be able to count on it, right? To know, I don't need to worry about being hungry right before bed. Mom and dad have, or mom and mom, whatever, have this set and, and I can count on that. It might take that power struggle out of it.
yeah, I think that is a good suggestion. Maybe it's more of like the expectation in my mind of how it should be. Like she should just sit down and eat dinner with us instead of getting up from the table after two bites and running off to play. Yeah. There's societal expectations of what things should look like are super, super powerful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's how getting it needs helps us to overcome that and actually do things that work for us instead of getting caught in, well, it's supposed to look like this. She's supposed to do this and I'm supposed to say that and it's supposed to work. <laughs> I think what's super important in what Gila is saying is if you don't mind her snacking at this time, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> There's no problem yeah. here. If she is a, a late eater and you're sitting with her, maybe you're chatting with her while she's eating in a way that you're not able to do at dinner time, then there's no problem here. The problem is there if that is detracting from the time that you are wanting to spend with your partner. And it's not possible for you to spend time with your partner at another point in the day because one or both outside the house or leave super early or whatever it is. So really they all, always all comes back down to needs. (laughs) Is the way we're doing it right now or the way that I'm thinking about that we could do going to meet all of our needs? If yes, let's do it. Who cares what society says? If no, then Let's not do that. And let's try and come up with a way that we think can meet both of our needs. Yeah, that's really helpful. What are you excited about? And what are you planning from here? (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited about trying it out. Like, I think I was jumping to all the reasons that it might not work. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's worth trying it and knowing that it's something that will be tweaked over time. And Mm -hmm. like, we don't have to find the perfect solution that lasts forever. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Okay, so let's make sure that we get you on a path that feels good and that is likely to set you up for success. How are you planning to approach this conversation with your partner, conversation with your child? How is this going to play out for you? Yeah, I think starting the conversation with my husband first to make sure that we're both on the same page and that we identify our needs individually and as a couple so that we know the boundaries that we want to hold, I think is the first step. And then we can maybe brainstorm together how it might look and then present it to her options. Yeah. And for a younger child, I think presenting options is is appropriate to the extent that the child can express why they don't want to go to bed and express their needs. Then we start to take those on and hold them to the extent that we can. But particularly if you're sort of in the twos and threes, then setting up these are your options, I think is an appropriate way of going about doing that. Sounds like a plan. Gila. Yeah, I'm percolating. I have to say I'm feeling less skeptical than I did before this conversation. I really was thinking, well, if I'm going to try this, maybe I'll try it over the winter break from school. And I actually like the idea now of it might be harder to get him up at a consistent time during winter break. So yeah, that, what I can commit to is to having a conversation with him. I do talk through these things with him. And I think it's worth a conversation and maybe giving it a try. I just need to first, I think, think through a couple of things for myself about what those needs are, mm-hmm. how I might want to meet them and where my boundaries are. Okay. And I think just to pick up on your idea of when to do it, yes, we can do it over winter break. The challenge with doing it in winter break is, as you say, there's no need to be up at a certain time in the morning. And what you may find is that 
the child sort of settles into a routine of going to bed quite late, getting up quite late, and then it's difficult to make another transition once school starts again. They think they've got it figured out, they know how to regulate themselves, and then all of a sudden, oh, no, actually, we have to be up two hours earlier than that. <laughs> Whereas if you start during a period of time when you do have to be up early, then it's like, okay, yeah, when I need to be up at seven, this is what it feels like late at night, I'm still learning, they're going to mess up. There are going to be days when they're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I want to keep doing what I'm doing. And then in the morning, they're like, I'm not fine. (laughs) And I mean, think about the ways we mess up in understanding what our needs are. (laughs) And there is so much younger with so much less experience and not even fully developed prefrontal cortexes and all the stuff that to fully engage in planning. So anticipate that they're going to mess this up and get it wrong and think that one things are going to turn out one way and actually they're going to turn out another. And we're going to scaffold their learning through this process and say, hey, when this happened last night, you ended up feeling like this. And what does that mean for how we're going to do things moving forward? And yeah, if you start that on a day when you have to be up at a certain time, then it turns into, okay, now it's winter break. Okay, we can let it slide a little bit, but we're going to remember what it's like to have to be up at a certain time. And we know we're going to have to transition back to that once school starts again. Yeah, and one of my concerns is that I do now sort of point out, wow, it's really hard for you to get out of bed. Last night you went to bed later than normal, you know, see what happens. Like, Mm -hmm. it's interesting, right? It might register in a different way if it's his own decision to go to bed later. I don't know. Do you like being told what to do? Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Do Um, any of us like being told what to do? Right, right. So... No, I'm I'm intrigued. There's something about making the decision for yourself. Think about how hard our kids work to just stay out of bed, to just stall the process when we have a time that they have to be in bed. And then they start going to bed at the time that we wish they would have been going to bed all along (laughs) because they get to make the decision. If someone tells me you must do X, I might've been going to do that anyway, but now I think I'd rather do Y (laughs) (laughs) because I want the autonomy to make that decision for myself. Right. And and children are just learning about autonomy and resisting is one of the very few ways that they have to exert their autonomy, to say, I want to have some control over my own life. I want to say what happens to make decisions about my own body. And so that's where that resistance comes from. And if we sort of drop our end of the rope, as it were, and stop pulling on the other end so that there's nothing to resist, then that just kind of evaporate and the need to constantly be pushing just goes away. It's possible you'll find that he may actually go to bed earlier (laughs) because he's gotten to choose it. We've definitely absolutely seen that with children. I mean, I'm just thinking of uh, someone in the parenting membership whose child was resisting getting dressed. And this member lives in Norway. So getting dressed is sort of a necessity (laughs) to go to school in the morning. And the member is super, super worried about, well, what happens if they don't get dressed? They're going to get sick, you know, get cold. It's going to be really bad. And so there was so much pressure from the parent to make the child get dressed. And then one morning the parent says to the child, you know what, you can manage getting dressed yourself. It's okay. You can choose whatever you want to do. And what happens? Child runs off and gets dressed. (laughs) (laughs) and it's just that the child wanted to have the say over what happened to their own body i do have one question that i realized i didn't yeah i I feel like in the sleep literature i've also read that it's recommended to keep the bed and often the bedroom mostly for sleep and for adult activities so one of my concerns is that if the bedroom becomes you know, this place where he spends lots of time doing fun projects and things like that, like, is that in a way going to affect 
his ability, not his like cognitive resistance to sleep, but even just his physical ability to associate bed with sleep and to get into that sleep. Yeah, I've definitely seen that in the literature as well. Curiously more in the adult facing literature. Yeah, and I was wondering that. I don't know the child literature. So. Now you draw it out. Dr. Winter had also written a book about adult sleep that I read. And yeah, that's super prominent in that book and not at all mentioned in the rest of child. <laughs> so it has not been our experience at all. And with the parents that I've worked with as well, actually, I have not ever heard of anyone say, my child is now spending more time in their room doing things other than sleep. And all of a sudden they're having a harder time falling asleep. If that is a concern for you, then you may, or if it actually happens, like you try it and it actually happens that the child is having a harder time falling asleep, you could always relocate some of those activities to another room, perhaps a corner of your bedroom or a corner of the living room. And if spending time apart from the child is something you're trying to achieve, then you just separate them in other ways, sort of non-traditional ways, like you and your partner spend some time in the bedroom or your child is in your bedroom doing something in a corner and you're in the living room. So I would say I have not seen it play out in that way. I wouldn't be too concerned about it. If you are concerned about it, you could always preempt it and just separate those activities, the sleep from the pre-sleep activities if you want to, or just give it a try and see if it even is an issue. And if it is, then deal with it then. And if it's not, then it's not. Yeah. And as I'm thinking about it, I think a lot of kids do use their room Mm -hmm. as a playroom also. Yeah. We have a lot of sleep challenges in our culture that people in many other cultures don't have. (laughs) It's interesting to reflect on why that might be the case. (laughs) Okay. So it sounds as though you're both feeling fairly confident, at least about having conversations with the other people in your lives to sort of start setting this in motion and seeing if it's something that you think might meet both of your needs. So any final questions as we wrap up that you're like, if I could just get this one thing answered, I will be confident that we're on the right track here. (laughs) I guess one other question is if at some point in the process you, the adult, want to go to bed before your child decides mm-hmm. to go to bed. Well, I guess just imagining that maybe you would need some parameter on like having the door shut at a certain time or the mm-hmm. lights, they would turn the lights off themselves. Or... Maybe one parent goes to bed earlier than the other and the going to bed early parent is not available after 10 o'clock or whatever your witching hour is, <laughs> your magic time. <laughs> and that means the other parent is going to put you to bed. If you're going to bed after the only parent or after both parents, mm-hmm. then yeah, it's that's going to be something you're going to need to navigate by yourself. We are not going to be adjusting our sleep time <laughs> to yeah. meet the child's need here. So the child may then decide, well, you know what, actually, I really want to be tucked in. <laughs> and my need for connection in those last few minutes before I go to sleep is more important to me than finishing this project. And so I'm going to wrap this up now because I want to be tucked in. Again, it comes down to what are the needs of the individuals participating and also making sure your house is safe, obviously, for a child of a certain age to be up past past their parents. You may decide to make your bedtime a little bit later if you're seeing this an issue just for the first week or two, just while they're in this period of pushing it and seeing is my parent really going to let this go (laughs) this far? Are they really going to rein me in after two days if I go to bed at 11? Because if so, I'd better make the most of this. (laughs) You may find that there's a period where there is some pushing and things are happening later. You may want to accommodate that and just say, you know what, I'm going to tuck you in tonight and just make sure that you're okay. And then if it goes beyond a week or two at the most or what, or basically whatever feels right to you, then it's going to be like, this is not working for me long-term. And so I'm going to meet my need and I'll be available to tuck you in until 10 o'clock. And after that, you'll need to shut the lights off by yourself.
Mm-hmm. Yep. would definitely have a no screen rule in that in that period as well as with anything there's research on both sides of that (laughs) saying it's an issue saying it's not an issue i believe it could potentially be an issue and also if the light itself is not an issue certainly we know that are going to get sucked into i don't want to use the word addiction because that means a certain thing they tend to get sucked into things that they really enjoy and chances are they're going to have a hard time shutting it off so so really we're going to stay away from anything that they might that they might have a hard time breaking away from um and then one other thing that i realize we haven't talked about is I, I'm realizing that both of you only have one child. <laughs> and how could this work with more than one child? Your question about screen time brought that up for me, sort of, you know, how does it impact other people? And well, what if a child decides I want to run around the house and have a party in my after stories time and there's a baby sleeping and so yeah there would need to be restrictions on that because the baby can't articulate well, the baby will articulate when you wake him up and they'll cry and <laughs> and then it doesn't meet your need and so there's a whole bunch of people whose needs are not being met and so yeah there would need to be more potentially stringent restrictions on a child who has a sibling who is trying to get to sleep than you might need for a child who is an only child and it's only the parents who are potentially inconvenient who are there you also may decide if you have more than one child and particularly if the child is an infant to just play with do I want to introduce this right now (laughs) is this another potential source of stress that I need in my life if the baby's not sleeping you're up every couple hours in the night nursing anyway is your older child going to bed later something that is worth dealing with my hypothesis might come down on the side of no (laughs) in that particular circumstance and you may want to wait until things are more settled with the baby and the baby's sleeping longer and you have a bit more mental bandwidth to cope with a child, an older child who might be staying up a little bit later. Hopefully the older child is old enough that you then also might be able to have conversations about what activities are appropriate during, during after hours time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, it's possible that the older child might say, well, my need is for play and activity (laughs) in that time. And then, okay, well, let's get you play activity earlier in the day (laughs) so that hopefully you have other needs that we can meet during this time. And if it is not possible, again, it may not be possible to meet everybody's needs all the time, in which case we'll have a boundary if we can, but we may end up needing to set a limit to say something that is going to say, you need to change your behavior. If we want this to work, if you want to be able to stay up, then the limit is you can't make loud noises <laughs> or you have to be in certain rooms in the house that are further away from the baby's room and that those limits are needed to make sure the baby's needs are met, to make sure my needs are met and also to meet yours to the extent that we can. So um, so a judicious use of limits, I think, can be helpful, particularly when there's more than one child involved. All right. So it seems you're both heading in this direction and I would love to hear... <laughs> how it goes. Maybe you wouldn't mind reaching out in a couple of weeks and just letting us know how these conversations are going, what you're trying, and uh, when we have some some more to share. Would that be okay? Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for both of you for reaching out and being willing to come on camera and share what's going on for you and dig deeper than the sleep stuff (laughs) to realize that yes, some of it's about the sleep stuff, but a whole lot of other stuff is not about sleep. So I'm really grateful for both of you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate you walking this through with us. Great. I also wanted to mention that I recorded this episode at the end of 
November 2021. And in January 2022, I reached out to Gila and Catherine to see how things were going. And there is some information from them in a video on the episode page for this episode. So you can find that at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash no set bedtime. There's updates from them as well as thoughts from me on what seems to be going well and some ways they might want to consider adjusting their approach too. So I hope you find that useful if you are considering trying this for yourself. Hi, this is Jess from Verulis, Panama. I'm a Your Parenting Mojo fan, and I hope you enjoy this show as much as I do. If you found this episode especially enlightening or useful, you can also donate to help Jen produce more content like this and also save us from those interminable mattress ads. Then you can do that and also subscribe on the link that Jen just mentioned. And don't forget to head to yourparentingmojo.com to record your own message for the show.